Julie Ryan, noted psychic and medical intuitive, is ready to answer your personal questions, even those you never knew you could ask. For more than 25 years, as she developed and refined her intuitive skills, Julie used her knowledge as a successful inventor and businesswoman to help others. Now, she wants to help you to grow, heal, and get the answers you've been longing to hear. Do you have a question for someone who's transitioned? Do you have a medical issue? What about your pet's health or behavior? Perhaps you have a loved one who's close to death and you'd like to know what's happening. Are you on the path to fulfill your life's purpose? No matter where you are in the world, take a journey to the other side and ask Julie Ryan. Hi, everybody. We have such a fascinating guy that I'm going to talk to for this week's show. His name's John Davis, and he was approached by multiple psychics. I think it was 19 of them who told him that he walked with Jesus. And I said, no, I didn't. What's that mean? Well, long story short, he went to a, a hypnotherapist and had a past life regression and has all these memories about walking with Jesus. And so I want to ask him, who was he when he walked with Jesus? And I have a whole lot of questions for him about what was Jesus like? What were Jesus's teachings? Of course, I want to know about the healings and just how he's been able to take that information that he's learned and and really integrated into his life and his teachings. So let's find out who he was when he walked with Jesus. I The vibe I get from this guy is that he's legit. See what you think. And let's talk to John Davis and see what he has to say. Be sure to remember to subscribe and like and comment. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are about John and about our conversation. And remember to share with your family and friends. So let's talk to John. John, welcome to the show. I'm just thrilled to have you on. I've, I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Well, thank you for having me, Julie. I'm really excited to talk to you as well. I think we're going to have a lot of fun. Before we started recording, we figured out that when I was a small child, I lived in the suburb next to where John lives now. <laughs> so we have that in common. He's a... He, We've probably shopped at the same malls and stores. <laughs> most likely, although I was 10 when we left, so oh, maybe not. Your mom and I probably yeah, shopped at mom. the same malls and stores. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, let's just get into it. I've got a ton of questions for you. And just tell us, how did your spiritual journey begin? Oh, my spiritual journey is a, is a kind of a convoluted story, but I'll try to keep it short for you. <laughs> um, I was raised in a very big Catholic family, seven kids. Uh, my mother, right here, this beautiful lady, uh, had her master's degree in liturgy and was head of liturgical doctrine at our Catholic church. And, you know, that basically, see if you don't know that, what that means, that means when the priest wanted to do a sermon, he had to pass it by my mom. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so we were Catholic, right? And um, as time went on, you know, I turned 18. My mom actually literally said to me, uh, John, spirituality is a personal journey. You need to find what you believe. And I did the searches and I went out and I studied Buddhism and Hinduism and Jainism and um, Baha'i and Wicca and Wayne Dyer and Deepak Chopra, <laughs> you know, all the all the, the biggies. And I really had kind of settled into uh, being an agnostic. and. But still having all my Catholic guilt under, underlying there as well. Well, I was also performing at Renaissance festivals at the time. I was doing a comedy sword fighting show called Hack and Slash. And 
I was performing at a Renaissance Festival in Ontario. And I, the night before the show, we were all sitting in a friend's house and having a, kind of a gathering, kind of a party. And this woman kept staring at me from across the room. And she kept looking at me and looking at me. And I was like, this is kind of strange because I know that's her husband sitting right beside her. <laughs> Finally, she gets up. She walks over to me. She says, you know, you walk with Jesus, right? And, and I was like, it was the weirdest experience of my life because I said, yeah, I did that. And it was like, it was like so matter of fact that I had just done it. Right. Well, the next thing that happened was I, I, um, ended up leaving there and going, ah, no, I don't want to be the guy who thinks he's Napoleon. I'm not doing that. And I went on, went on my way and I go to the Renaissance Festival in Maryland and I'm sitting there talking to an old friend who I've known for years and years and years. And in the middle of the conversation, she says, you know, that you, uh, you were John the Beloved, right? And out of the blue, I don't know. I and, no and idea. John the Beloved is John the Baptist, right? No, no. Oh, he's John the, different. John the no. John the Baptist was before Jesus. Jesus, sorry, uh, was before Jesus, and John the Beloved walked with. Oh, Jesus. so he was one of the apostles. One of the apostles. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, in fact, he's the only apostle who lived to old age, and he's the only apostle who witnessed him on the cross. Ah. So it, it, it's was he Jesus' brother? Pardon? Was he Jesus's brother? Uh, no. Uh, in, in of the twelve, there was two James, and one of the Jameses was his brother. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and he had he had three brothers, and I believe two sisters, according to biblical uh, thing. But I only know of the one from my my uh, my memory. But I'll tell you about that in a second. Okay. <laughs> so, to make a long story short, I had I had nineteen different psychics spontaneously walk up and tell me about that, and. I was really in denial. I did not want to do that. I was not going to be that. And one day I said, you tell me directly. Don't have somebody else tell me. You tell me directly. I want to sign. And a buddy of mine walks in. He throws a book at me. She should check this out. It was called Edgar Casey on the Millennium. And it's, it's a little paperback book about what's going to happen during the millennium. This is, you know, way back. And I'm, uh, I start to read it. I get to page 32. And suddenly it says, John the Beloved will again be named John. <laughs> in 1938, Edgar Casey said that. So I was like, okay, okay. Now, he's a psychic too. I'm going to find a certified hypnotherapist and I'm going to do a past life regression and see if I can just wipe this thing out and get it out of here. So I go in to a regressionist. I find a great hypnotherapist, um, which uh, is it's important that you get a good, true hypnotherapist, not a, not a hypnotist, but a hypnotherapist. There's a difference. and. I ended up going and having this regression, and I remembered the life of John the Beloved. I remembered meeting this guy who I called Jeshua Ben Joseph. I, I painted this in the year 2000, six months after my regression. Um, I uh, walked with him. I remembered it was, it was an amazing experience. I was standing there on the beach in the regression. I looked over, and people were running down the beach. And I walked over to this crowd, and as, I, as the crowd kind of parted, I kind of pushed my way in. And I, as I'm moving in through this crowd, I could feel this just presence, this loving presence. And, I, and you hear me in the regression, I'm losing my breath. I'm like, oh my God, you can feel him. You can feel him. And I'm actually saying that out loud. You can feel him. And he looks at me and he smiles. And he, like, like he'd known me his entire life. And he walked over and he raised his hand. He dropped it on my chest. And I had basically what a lot of people would call a near-death experience inside my past life regression. It was as if John had left the physical illusion 
and gone into the oneness of, of God and felt this whole experience. And my, my certified hypnotherapist was really confused. And she says, are you with him or are you him? And my response was, I'm within him. And it was just this amazing oneness expression. Then she says, what's the next most important moment? And I come out of that moment back into all my fears, all my anxieties, all my frustrations, all my, and I start, you know, almost weeping at this whole experience. And I came back with the realization that that's, that's why we're here. Because we could never know that, that purity of love and that purity of God without knowing the illusion of its absence. And those fears and those anxieties are the illusion of its absence. And so that was the biggest lesson I learned all that, all those years ago is that you can release your fears and come closer to the source. And so that has been the, the everlasting journey so far. <laughs> I, I ended up speaking all over the country. There was a book written about me a long time ago. Um, and I found that people were too interested in my past life story, but they weren't hearing what I was teaching. And so I, I left spiritual work for about 10 years. And, but what I did was I took all of the lessons that I had learned and I changed the vocabulary around and I went into the corporate world and I started teaching the lessons without the backstory of the reincarnation. And I was, people were changing lives. It was really, it was an amazing time. And then we had this magical thing called COVID, <laughs> which as a motivational speaker in the corporate world, <laughs> that career goes away pretty quick. <laughs> and I ended up, I ended up coming back to the spiritual work uh, two years ago and found my passion back in it again and also found an amazing experience in, in seeing how humanity had changed in those 10 years because everyone has gone from that shallow place to now being in the space of really empowering themselves. And I find it just beautiful what I came back to see. And I got real passionate about the work. And, and in two years, I created a, a YouTube channel that now has over 1,100 videos on it. And uh, just just love what I do. And I do these private sessions where I get to help people come to that moment of empowerment. It's just beautiful. So that's my big journey. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Lots of questions. Let's unpack that a little bit. <laughs> Obviously, you were being led with all those I, I so. psychics who were saying, hey, John, did you know? And and that's just, that's not random that you have yeah. 19 people come to you and basically say the same thing. Even when True. you looked in the book, that was a sign as well. How can it, people know that they're being led? Well, it, it really comes down to that one moment where she said uh, that you walked with, with Jesus. And I said, yeah, I did that. You know, we all come with our natural discernment. We all come with our feeling of what's true. Now, my mom told me spirituality was a personal journey, which means we, we each should find our own truth. Now, some people will, will, will go to the, the Christian route. Some people will go to the Muslim route. Some people will go to the, the various routes. But if they find, if they find love in, in them, then they found God. You know, there's many, as the Bible says, in my father's house, there are many mansions. It just basically means that, that there are so, God is too big to be encompassed by one religion. But you just have to remember that God is love. And if you find a, a loving life, a loving world, then you've found that source. So the real way for them to know it is just come back to the feeling. Because in the Bible, there's the story of Adam and Eve is such an interesting story. Um, but the, when you break it down to the moral of that story, they ate from the tree of knowledge. They got kicked out of paradise. 
they got in their heads and out of their heart. And that feeling is where discernment is. And so it's a matter of coming back to that discernment and saying, yeah, this feels right. And this is what, you know, I'm going to follow this because it feels right. And also when it doesn't feel right, to understand that that is the communication from God. And God speaks to us in feelings, not thinkings. So when it doesn't feel right, that's God saying, that's not for you. And you go, oh, okay, then I'm doing something different. And we always have the choice. I think you're my Siamese twin and we were separated at birth. Because <laughs> I say the same thing. I say, all, yeah, the, I sure. say all the same thing. <laughs> and, and I believe that we all have that intuitive ability. When we're born, it comes in as part of our software package that everybody's right. born with. And I always teach too, John, that when you hear something or you read something or you even say something and you get goosebumps, that's God going, that's spirit, God, whatever you want to call it, going, absolutely. Aha, pay attention. That's true. Absol- absolutely. I remember I, I, earlier I said, I said, um, being here is experiencing that, that absence of love through the illusion of fear, right? Buddha said the secret to enlightenment is the eradication of fear. And it comes back to that space of realizing that fear is, is, is an illusion. And it, what it really is an illusion of is uh, negatively focused uncertainty because fear is simply an emotional reaction to a future event that may or may not happen with us focused on a negative outcome. And if we were focused on a positive outcome, we wouldn't be afraid. So when you come back to that one, that one simple Bible quote, be still and know that I am God, it's in that stillness where you have no fear. But one of the things that's interesting about fear is when we're in a fear, fear state, we hold air in our bodies. Every parent who's listening right now who remembers the moment where their toddler was walking across the living room, they slipped, they fell, they almost smacked their head on the table, right? And that, that mother went <gasps> and gasped for air, right? She literally had the primal reaction to fear where she sucked air into her lungs so she had a reserve to run fast. That's what it's about, right? So when you look at, when you look at the, the, the teachings, Buddha, the meditations of Buddha, they, you, you breathe, right? They call it the breath of God in Christianity. When we exhale, we release the fears in our, in, our, in our body. We come back to this neutral state where we can be still and know that I am God. And it comes back to that space of you letting go of that fear and that anxiety and coming back to the space and choosing that, that, uh, that state as well. Good point. I have people often ask me about a future event. Well, what's going to happen? You know, am I going to get the job? Am I going to marry this person? Whatever. And I always say, I can give you what I'm getting at this moment in time. Yeah, I love that. There are 50 bazillion variables that will affect the outcome. And all I can give you is what's happening at this moment in time. So take it with a grain of salt. And I I love that you say that because that's exactly what I believe. We're reading the potential of the moment. Exactly. And and in the end, it, it really is, you know, a choice. You can change anything. I was talking to a man yesterday who I did a, a private session for, oh my gosh, easily six, seven months ago. And he was, he was suffering with Parkinson's and he was having a really hard struggle with movement and everything else. But he, he had this issue where he had this, this boat that he was trying to sell and he just couldn't see how it could work out. And I was talking to him, I said, you know, what happens if you change your belief that it's not working out to something more like I am joyfully finding a buyer than, and I will sell this boat in, in a way that is uh, the best outcome for all involved. 
And I just started telling him, I said, this is how this present moment belief that you're talking about, you change that present moment belief, you're going to change your experience. I talked to him again yesterday. <laughs> he was blown away because once he changed his belief, not only did he find a buyer, the insurance company gave him double what he had paid for the boat. He was able to then sell the boat for $10,000 and make even more money. And the people who bought the boat, he was in Alaska. People who bought the boat came and sailed at home. And they sailed through the Bay of Alaska or something, some big bay that is always rough and always has really rough seas. When they sailed through there, there was no waves. And, and it was like the perfect outcome for all involved. He was just blown away. And the whole time he's telling me the story yesterday, I see no symptoms of Parkinson's. Wow. He was like talking like he was just a normal guy and everything was fine. And, you know, he had come to that space where he had realized that, you know, he does get to get to ask, believe and receive. Well, along those lines, I always say our thoughts create our reality, which is yeah. true. And just yesterday, too, I was talking with a client on a private session who was hit by a train. Her car stalled on the railroad tracks. I'm thinking, what is that, like out of a silent movie or something? Right. Her car right. stalled on the railroad tracks. She couldn't get out of the car fast enough. Uh. And so she told me, she said, I Remember right before the train was about to hit me, I thought to myself, I'm going to walk away from this. I'm not going to have any injuries. Everything's going to be fine. Well, the train hit her, pushed her a long way because the train was trying to stop, but it takes time mm -hmm. for all that momentum to come to a stop. When I scanned her, I'm like a human MRI, John. And when mm -hmm. I scanned her, the whole right side of her body looked like bone chips inside of plaster or some kind of cement. Did you ever go to summer camp where you made a, a mosaic out of little particles of tile or something and you put it in yeah, plaster yeah, yeah, to make yeah. a bowl or put it in pottery or something? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what the whole right side of her body looked like. And I thought, this woman's whole right side was crushed, but her belief system was so strong that right. her body instantly healed herself and the paramedics and they took her to the ER and all of that. And the doctors were going, how, how is this even possible? Right. So when I heard that story yesterday and this morning when I was thinking about talking with you, I thought, well, case in point here about how right. strong belief is. Well, and, and I love what you said when you told the story because I am going to survive this, right? Moses said, God's name is I am. Whatever you ask in God's name is granted. I am going to survive this. Is literally asking the source, asking the universe, yada, yada, for, for healing. But the key is, it was not I will be or I was, it's I am. It's what you believe about the present moment is what's, is what's happening in your experience. And for her to say, I am, I'm gonna, not going to be hurt or I'm, I'm going to survive this or whatever, I am is what her belief was. And that's really the key to all transcendental experience. Most people, like a lot of people will have a spontaneous out of body or something like that. And then they'll spend the rest of their lives wanting it and trying to have it again. But once they start wanting, they're out of the, they're, they're taking their present moment and they're wasting it on want. And when you look at, um, you, you said earlier about finding your information coming from all sources, you know, Yoda said, mm, do or do not, there is no try, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And it comes down to that. It's like, there, do it in this moment. Be in the now. Be in the present. And that, to me, is is just an incredible experience in realizing that she survived that train wreck.
by just believing in that present moment she was going to be fine. Well, and, and you know, do or do not pick up the pen. Right. Right. You know, or or uh, can you pick up the pen or something like that? And you go, OK, well, I'm going to you bend down to pick up the pen. It's like, no, don't go do it. It's already happened kind of a thing. Right. And right. that's a really good point. Well, another another thing is, you know, the you're talking about healing. You know, this guy back here, he understood that healing happened through the person's belief. And it is your faith that heals you. And there's one story in the Bible that I always go back to. It's the man who was born blind. Now, in that story, Joshua picked up dirt. He spit on it. He made mud. He wiped it on that guy's eyes and they washed it off and the man could see, right? There's no place else in the Bible, in the Gnostic text, in the Coptic. Coptic tests in the Quran, in the Bhagavad Gita, where someone picked up mud and used it as a healing tool. But that blind man who was born blind doesn't know the visual world. He only knows tactile sensation. So Joshua putting mud on his eyes gave that man something to put faith in. And so he did the healing through your faith. Now, I had a moment one time in Canada where I was up there doing private sessions and there was a knock at a side door and a woman walked in with swelling on the side of her face, the size of a grapefruit. And the teeth were pushing between her lips because of the infection in her jaw. And she, she comes in. I'm like, well, why don't you come on? So we sat down. I said, what's your faith? I asked, so I asked her that first. What's your faith? What do you believe? She said, I'm a Christian. I said, okay. Now in my mind, I'm going, I can talk that game, right? Because <laughs> of my, because of my background, right? So I said, so, in the Bible, it says, whatever you ask, God is granted. Do you believe that? She goes, yeah. I said, all right, so let's, why don't you and I just ask? She said, okay. How about something like, thank you, God, for the perfect teeth I am receiving. Amen. She says, that's good. I said, yeah, let's do that. Ready? Thank you, God, for the perfect teeth I am receiving. Amen. And I said, I said that sounds great. I said, you know, you just said, thank you, God. And, you know, when you thank for something, you believe you're receiving it. Like if I say, can I have a glass of water? I say thank you when I know it's coming, right? So you said, thank you, God, for the perfect teeth. And then you said, I am receiving, which means you just use God's name to say that you're receiving perfect teeth. Yeah, thanked them for it. And then the last word you said was amen, which means so be it, which means right here, right now, it's done. What does that mean? She goes, I'm healed. Her swelling was gone. Her swelling was gone, right? Now, here's the interesting thing. Had she walked into that room and I said, what's your faith? And she said, I'm a Buddhist. I would have said, you know, Buddha says what you think you become, you create your world. And I would have gone down a Buddhist route or a Hindu route. I would have gone down whatever route I needed to go to bring her to faith. And it really does come down to, you know, God is too big to be encompassed by any one religion, but faith is what heals you. Well, and the placebo effect is real. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, as an inventor. It's a great example. Of yeah. It. As an inventor of surgical devices, I needed to get all my devices approved by the FDA or right. whatever the corresponding governing body was in whatever country in which we were selling. And, and we are unlike drugs with products, but I know the drug companies, I believe it's 52% of all drug clinical trials that 52% is the normal placebo effect, and it's much uh -huh. greater than the efficacy of whatever the medicine is that they're testing. 
I had no idea, but that's 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 great. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, I'm a, I need to look up that statistic, but I believe it's over fifty percent. Fifty-two percent sticks in my head. I want to talk more about healing in a second. First, I want to know what kind of reaction did your family and friends have when you told them about your regression and that you were John the Beloved in a past life? (laughs) And and I was. I came right out and I told everybody. And I was very open about it. And I have a brother who's a Catholic Sunday school teacher who the the words I hear from him still today are Merry Christmas. (laughs) And that's pretty much all he says to me. (laughs) Um, I have another sister who I talk to every day who is on every... Everything I do, she's right with me. I have a brother who's the same way. If I said it, it's true. Um, I have another sister who's kind of a, her, she's a mathematician. And so she kind of sits back and observes and watches. Um, so it really, you know, that, but the one person who really gave me a, an amazing reaction was that lady, my mom, because uh, I went and told her and she didn't react poorly. She didn't say anything bad about it. She, she, um, she just says, okay, that's interesting. And we, and we, we got into deep spiritual conversations. What I didn't know was <laughs> she went to her Irish Catholic priest. And I mean, red hair parted down the middle, wire rim glasses, Irish Catholic priest. And she says, Father, I'm really concerned. My, my, son, my son thinks he's a reincarnated apostle. And her priest went, don't discount it. It might be true. <sighs> Good for him. Good <laughs> right? for him. So when my mom passed away, we were we were clearing out her house and we went into her file cabinet. She had a file about that thick of people's testimonials about working with me and, and the healings that they created within their lives mm-hmm. by taking their faith. And I had no idea she was she was stalking me <laughs> online. Um she and when I went to Florida two about two years before she died. Two of her friends came to the house for, for sessions with me. Oh. And I mean, it was really amazing. So she was, she was, my father had already passed away, but yeah, she, she was a great influence in my life because she did not limit me to Catholicism. And, you know, well, Catholicism itself is, is so fear based and so angry based. And it's so interesting to me that of all the people in the world that I interact with, Buddhists, Love me. I went to India. They lined up around the, the block to talk to me, right? And, and it was like that. But every day, I get at least one e- email saying I'm the Antichrist or the false prophet, and it's always and it's always always the Christians. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't it doesn't affect me because I know they're just in fear, right? So it, I, I look at that and I feel sorry for them because they, I, I'm living such a happy, joyful life, and I giggle every day, and they're reaching out to judge people and tell people they're wrong, so they can't be that happy. Yeah. Why, why is that? Why is it that, is it because Christianity is so much newer? I mean, 2000 years old, but yet so much newer than the other philosophies that, and, and I know in the Protestant Reformation and all that kind of stuff that, that sometimes the most rabid Christians are from newer churches. Like they've been around yeah, well, a few hundred years instead of Christianity being right. 2000 years, which is the Catholic church. And then, but then that's young compared to some other different philosophies. Sure, sure. And, well, and in, in actuality, um, Christianity began in 325. 
when Constantine created the Nicene Council, he created the the beginning of creating the Bible. The, the people in the Nicene Council edited out over 40 books that were written that they found they had. Um, and a couple changes happened at the Nicene Council. One of them was that Rome became the seat of Christianity. And two, uh, Jeshua became the son of God. Prior to that, he was either a teacher, a prophet, or a fraud. And when they declared him the son of God, that meant every other religion in the world is wrong. And and then next thing you know, you had crusades and inquisitions and invading South and Central America to, to spread that, that word. And even in, in Europe, the Catholics were wiping out even other Christians saying, you're not, you're not Christian enough for, you know, for, for us. And North America, the people coming to North America to escape the persecution of the Catholics were other Christians who came and wiped out the Native Americans. You know, it, it really is all about their belief in him being the only way and the Savior and the Messiah. And all of that is Judaic Messianic belief. And he didn't believe it. He didn't believe he was a Messiah. He believed he had found his divinity and was showing us our way, our truth, and our life. He was showing us our own divinity. And you can hear it all the way through the Bible. The greater works than I have done, you will do. It is your faith that heals you. You can ask a mountain to move, it'll move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And he keeps saying all these really empowering statements. But Christianity makes him the one way to God. And so every, they have to be right. And now they get mad and angry if, if, they, if you don't believe as they do. But if you look at this from a mathematical standpoint, 30% of the world are Christians. Of those, less than half of them are practicing. So now we're not, let's just say 15%. So now 15% of the world is trying to dictate what 85% of the world believes. And they get mad because they see somebody who doesn't believe as they do. And they get mad because they might not be right. Well, it's all fear-based. It's all control yeah. with fear. And certainly we saw that recently with the pandemic. People were doing oh. stuff that was nuts. I knew people that were washing their plastic bags from the grocery store when they mm -hmm. got home before they put them on their countertops. Mm. <laughs> Come on, really? <laughs> get just. In it. But the fear is is the most powerful. Yeah, way oh, to no, control and it, people. It, it, it really is, and and that lesson I learned in my regression was the fact that without that fear, you couldn't know love anyway. So when I look at the idea of of fear as the opposite in, in science, you need a baseline to measure against. The best analogy of this that I've ever heard was uh, Kim Carey from Intuitive View. She and I were talking one time, and she said that she said, "Imagine you're in a in a, in a room that's made of pure white." And everything is white and you're white and, and everything's just pure white and, you, and you, you saw nothing else. And could you describe white? Could you know what white was without knowing the opposite or knowing it's, it's something to contrast against? And the fear is exactly that. It's the opposite or the, the, the lack of love. But when you exhale, when you come back to that, that neutral space, you very quickly find out that love is your nature and fear, fear is the choice. And you come back to that place and you go, I choose to be joyful. I choose to be loving. I choose to be caring. And your world changes dramatically when you choose to be the creator of your experience rather than the victim of your experience. Exactly.
And furthermore, we need the contrast in order to create. When we know what we don't want, it helps us create what we do want. Precisely. And so I always tell people, and you touched on this earlier, to your point earlier, it's not what we think, it's what we feel. I believe our feelings are an internal GPS system that we all have when we're born and we have throughout our lives. And what I teach is when you something feels bad, it's always based in fear, but you gotta figure right. out, is this a rational fear? Do you need to get out of the road before the truck runs you over? Or is right. it an irrational fear based on a limiting <laughs> belief, both of which are false? And that's 99% of it, 99.9% right. of it. And, and once we figure out, is this a real fear? Is this a fake fear? Then it lessens the fear enough. It can keep us out of fight or flight, which we right. lose clarity when we're in fight or flight. Right. And right. we start using our imagination to envision all this stuff that we don't want to happen. Right. And so it is all about fear and love and that dichotomy yeah. between the two. And you, you just touched on another Star Wars quote for me. Oh. <laughs> Yoda literally said, named must your fears be before banish it you can. There you go. Named must your fears be before banish it you can. And it really comes down to that experience of just saying, yeah, I can do that. I am releasing that. But you have to see it to, to release it and know that you can make that change. Um, it's really, to me, when I look at the whole expression of how do I make change, there comes a moment where you look at people around you and who are creating their life and they're going, this is how life is. 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 The people who really get it are the ones who say, this is how life has been, but now I am doing this. And they're stepping into that, choosing to be the creator of the experience. Nothing will be impossible for you. You know, what you think you become, you create that world. And it comes down to, to that, that eradication of fear is, is the key. It's, and, in Sufism, they say God is on one side of a veil and we're on the other side of the veil and the life is the struggle against the veil and the veil is our fear. And so it really is an interesting thing. And talking about the, 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 the going back to Buddhism real quick, the most famous Buddhist quote in history is life is suffering. But when they translate it correctly, because it's not translated correctly, the original language of Pali is a conceptual language and English is a literal language. And when they translate the word dukkha, which is the word for suffering, into English, there's three translations. But if you put them together as a concept, this is the actual translation. Life is suffering because of our habitual response to our past experience. Wow. Isn't that a huge difference? That's profound. Yeah. And we all know that habit is created by 21 to 60 days of competitive action or repetitive action. And so it's just a matter of changing your habits for three weeks to really break free of it. Have you ever heard of Cozy Earth bedding? It's your ultimate luxury escape. Cozy Earth sheets are temperature regulating and incredibly soft, and they even have a 10-year warranty. They're made from organic bamboo and silk, are hypoallergenic, and even antimicrobial. Cozy Earth sheets are so amazing, they've been on Oprah's favorite things list for five years in a row, and I have them on my bed right now. So if you're ready to elevate your sleep, Cozy Earth has a special offer for just for my listeners. Go to CozyEarth.com and use the code AskJulie for a 35% discount. That's C-O-Z-Y Earth.com and use code AskJulie 
for a 35% discount. Upgrade your sleep with Cozy Earth Bedding. I love them and so will you. Is reincarnation mentioned in the Bible? Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, and it's mentioned by Jesus and, and the disciples. It's just not accepted by Christians. Um, who do they say that I am? Some say you are Elijah or some prophet returned. No, I tell you, he has come already and you have shunned him, referring to John the Baptist. So the, the apostles had to believe that Jesus was Elijah returned. So Elijah could return to be Jesus. And, and I use Jesus when I talk biblical stuff because that's the biblical name. Um, and he had to believe that Elijah could return and be John the Baptist, right? When the disciples talked to that, that blind man I mentioned earlier, they, they asked Joshua, who sinned? Was it him or, or his parents? Well, he was born blind, so he had to be able to sin before he came. And so that, I mean, those two references alone are, and I'm sure there, I'm sure there's more, but those are the two biggest ones that say reincarnation. Then you get into the Gnostic text and you find little tidbits here and there of it. And then when you get really deep into Judaic texts, there, there's reincarnation in Judaism. And so, you know, they're all Abrahamic religions. And so it really does come down to if Abraham was thinking it, so they all should, shouldn't they? Right. So. Wow, the fun thing I find with with uh, past lives, I have a lot of clients and every once in a while I'll have somebody call my show and they want to know about a past life. And they are so much fun, John, because oh, yeah. oftentimes we can find, and I don't hypnotize, I do what I call a past life scan where mm -hmm. we ask a question and then it goes right to the lifetime that pertains to whatever that question is. And I'll get the mm. date and the time and where it was. And it's as if I've walked into a scene in a movie and we'll, right. we'll watch that. I'll describe what I'm seeing and then we'll correlate it with what's going on in their current life. But mm -hmm. oftentimes we'll get information that we can validate with historic yeah. information yeah. online. And I know you've done a lot of that as well with, yeah. with your past life with Jesus, where you've been able to corroborate a lot of the things that you saw that you didn't know were a thing. Tell us right, about a right. couple of them. Um, when I first arrived in my regression, I looked, it was funny because I was, when I went into that regression, I was still in that place of not wanting to be that guy. And, and I looked down and I saw bare legs and bare arms. And I was like, well, obviously not an apostle. They always wore robes, right? <laughs> right? Then I found out what I, what he was wearing was a, a fisher's coat. It's a Gal Galilean one-piece bathing suit. You know, you go out on the, go out on the lake. If you fall over, wearing uh, your robes, you drown, right? Right. So then I found a, a reference to it in the Bible. Um, when when Jeshua returned after the crucifixion, um, John and Peter were on a boat fishing, which is a very interesting thing because this is the only memory I have of him after the crucifixion. I have this actual moment as in memory. And the Bible says um, that Jeshua was on the shore and and Peter stood up and jumped overboard and swam to shore because he was naked, <laughs> right? Right. And John was wearing a fisher's coat. He, so it was like, <laughs> but it's right in the Bible. It talks about the fisher's coat. Um, and so, so that what the fisher's coat was one. The other thing that was really stood out in that very first regression was I, I could see on the shoreline the boats had this this spire that came up that had like a C shaped hook on the front of it. And I had never seen that 
you know, at first when I came out, I first thought it was like a Viking look looking boat, but then I realized it wasn't it wasn't that. It looked it looked more utilitarian. And then I started doing research on fishing boats of the time. And a lot of them had this thing that came up that held like this. And what they would do is they would cast their nets to the side of the boat, pull the ropes up around that C shape and pull it this way so that the net would come up beside the boat so they could pull it in. So it was like a pulley without a wheel. Um, but I had never seen that before. And so those are just a couple of the, the simple ones I've seen. Now, some of the things that were really strange to me was, and this is good, this is going to be, um, controversial. I remember, I remember meeting and knowing his wife. And that was huge. And the reason I know he's, it was his wife, because he was referring to her as Ishti, which in both Aramaic and Hebrew means wife. <laughs> so it literally means that word. And, um, the, it was very interesting because they, they, they just were passionately in love and they were fawning over each other and, you know, they giggled and laughed. And I'm actually in the middle right now. I'm just uh, starting a um, a painting of the two of them together laughing. Just because was this that, thing looks a little Was a little that who we know as Mary Magdalene? Yeah. 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 She's one of my yeah. spirit guides. Yeah. And she, you know, we, let's, go back, let's go back to reincarnation for a second, because Mary Magdalene's a very interesting thing. I, even though I have these memories, I still don't know what reincarnation truly is. Because I have met multiple people who think they're John. And I've met multiple Peters and Pauls, and I've met over 30 women who think they're Mary Magdalene. Um, so I don't know whether I'm, and first of all, let me say, it would be hypocritical of me to say that they're wrong, right? So I don't know whether whether people are tapping into the oneness of God, whether they are just one soul traveling from life to life, or or whether souls split and separate. I, I, you know, I, I don't really know what it is. What I do know is this. It doesn't really matter who you were. It only matters who you are because this is the present moment that you're conscious. And so I'm grateful for the, the lessons I've learned. But if you look at my, my website and even my YouTube channel, it's called John of New, not John of Old. Yeah, well, the, the reincarnation thing, I think all of those just different examples that you mentioned are all feasible. Do we know yeah. for sure? No. Are they no. feasible? Yes. Yeah. I believe the reincarnations, I mean, I've done thousands of them, of like, I call them past life scans, mm -hmm. where we get information, as I mentioned, we corroborate it with online data, historic yeah, yeah, data. Yeah. And and the interesting thing, I always want to say, you can't make this stuff up, first of all. Okay. Right, no, but totally. two other points are, I believe our heads are big satellite dishes and they receive and they transmit frequencies. Right. Every spirit has a frequency they keep throughout all their lifetimes. So who do you want to talk to? You want to talk to Elvis? You think of Elvis, you're connected to Elvis's frequency. Right. And it, it opens, for lack of a better comparison, a two-way radio right. where you can communicate right. with Elvis's spirit. Precisely. Furthermore. I, I, if you're in the oneness of God, in Hinduism, they, they call the consciousness of God the sit. And we are the sitsat key, the individual sparks of consciousness within the one God. And when you when you do put focus on somebody who's crossed over or something, you you do connect. Uh, I'm writing a book right now <laughs> called "The Recovering Catholic's Guide to Spirituality," and um, when I'm writing that book, I think about my mom a lot, and I literally feel her snarky little sense of humor laughing at things. 
as I'm as I'm writing that book. And to me, it's it's such a joy because my mom is right there laughing with me, and it's it's just wonderful. Well, and and I'm a cradle Catholic, 12 years at Catholic schools, and I call myself a cafeteria Catholic now. Oh. I go to mass most weekends and mm. I and I take what resonates with me and I leave the rest. And right. I think I believe that the Catholics do a good job of instilling in us when we're little children about saints and angels in the in the existence of other beings that were not, it doesn't just end when we mm-hmm. die. And furthermore, Pope Francis in 2016, I don't know if you know this, he issued a papal bull, which is like a bulletin or a newsletter that was advising his pastors in all of his parishes around the world to accept psychics and healers because mm. they were doing the work of the Holy Spirit. I had no idea. Yeah, and I'll I'll send you the link on it. And it's, you know, it's written like by the canon lawyers. So you're in a coma Uh, after about the first page because it's just agonizing. Francis has done some cool stuff like like the the, um, saying that it's not for him to judge homosexuals. You know, he didn't say it's okay yet, but he he released the judgment on them, which I thought was interesting. But the Catholic Church is, because of that legal analysis, they're very slow to do things. Right. And, and it's like in 1986, Ferris Bueller's Day of, Day Off was in the movie theaters and Big Trouble in Little China. And that was the year the Galileo got, got uh, forgiven for the world not being flat. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> and Francis, in the past decade, uh, issued a, an apology to South and Central America for what the conquistadors did in the 1500s. Mm-hmm. And so it's it, it, they're making changes. It's just you know, it's hard to turn a ship. Exactly, quickly. exactly. Yeah. But back to my parish here in in Birmingham, Alabama. Birmingham, Alabama. They give a copy of my book, Angelic Attendance: What Really Happens as We Transition from This Life into the Next, to every family that comes in to plan a funeral. And oh. there are many, many churches and synagogues around the country that do the same. And I talk about how the person's surrounded by spirits of loved ones right. and spirits of deceased pets and angels. And the university-based research corroborates that and says 90% of people at the end of their lives report seeing the spirits of deceased loved ones and pets as they're yeah. approaching death. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's interesting to me that it's coming along those lines and yeah. helping I, with that. I'm fascinated by the transition and in in because I, I truly believe that as people transition, the first thing they have to transition through is their own belief systems. And um, I know there's a lot of people who have a near-death experience who witness hell. And now I can tell them historically that hell was the trash dump on the outskirts of Jerusalem because the word was Gehenna. And Gehenna is was where they burned all the trash on the outskirts of Jerusalem, and the 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 pictures that we think of as hell now were adopted in the 1300s when Dante wrote his Inferno. So they aren't something so ancient that people really are, are doing that. But let me tell you the moment the moment the, the last time I went to a Catholic church, um, it was the moment that I said I'm not going I'm coming back. I I went to my aunt's funeral. And my aunt was a very devout Catholic. And, you know, when I would go to the church, I, I would take communion. And, I, and I'm sitting there in my, in my aunt's funeral, and the priest comes onto the pulpit, and he says, 
At this time, I'd like to offer all practicing Catholics communion. I'd like to offer it to all of you, but I can't until you convert to Catholicism. And the second he said that, I turned to my sister and I said, do you think Jesus would have said that? And she turned to her husband. She says, you think Jesus would have said that? And he turned to my nephew and he said, Jesus would have said that? And the four of us didn't take communion. And that was the last time I was in a Catholic church. <laughs> um, well, and my pastor, Irish, born and raised in Ireland, hmm. seminary in Ireland, is the exact opposite. Right. So, and so was my mom's. It, so was my mom's. It goes, you know, it goes where it goes. But I can tell you when I'm in church during the time they call it the consecration, where mm -hmm. the priest is supposedly changing the bread and the wine into the spirit, I believe the spirit, Jesus's, mm -hmm. Jesus, Jesus's blessings, his spirit right. comes into that. I watch a laser beam. I watch a beam of light come from outside the church. I watch it go down on the altar. When the priest holds up the communion, I see an arc of light that goes out, covers the whole congregation. I see the same thing with the chalice, with the wine. Right. So, And then at the final prayer, I see this arc of light go over the whole congregation. I go to mass in other countries because I always want to see what's going on. And I'm sure people think I'm extra reverent because my eyes are closed during the consecration. Mm -hmm. I'm just watching the show. Right. So right. there's some serious mojo from an energetic standpoint that's going on in there. I, I asked her why she became so Catholic. And she said she had her first out-of-body experience during a mass. Mm -hmm. So for, for her, that was a religious experience. Um, I have asked Muslims why they became, they had the same experience. Yeah. They had an out-of-body experience during, at, at, in the temple, in the mosque. Um, I, I really do think that, that, like I say, God is too big to be encompassed by one religion. I agree. And when I look, when I look at it, there's a guy that I know, he's such a, he's such a lovely guy and I feel like a brother. I mean, I really think we could be, could have been brothers in some life. Um, we laugh, we joke, we're both big bald headed guys. He's really deep into the law of one material. Now, to me, that does not ring true at all. It doesn't, it doesn't hit my, it doesn't, my discernment says no. But he's so loving. He's so caring. He's found God within that, that stuff as well. And I, I really think we all have many ways. You're talking about reincarnation earlier. Um, even in reincarnation, the people that I talk to all have, when they're regressed, they all have different experiences. Some people don't see anything. Some people just get tons of information without having a visual. Some people just see pictures and, and can describe it. I had one young man that I, he, he wanted me in the room when he was regressed because I'm not, I don't regress people. And I was in the room and he's spewing all this information. I'm just writing it down. And it, it was so specific down to the year. And it was in China. And it was like, and he kept saying, we live in communes and there's no leader. We're, we're a collective. We all, and he's talking about all these, there's several communes in the area, but there are no leaders. We're all the leader. And he's doing all this stuff. And he says, his life ended when he was walking in the woods and suddenly he was struck by all these arrows and he died. And I said, what year was it? And he gave me the year and you searched it online. And it was, there was a, a movement of communes that the, the, uh, the Chinese emperor came through and wiped, wiped them all out in that year. It was, you know, so to me, it's like we will experience our, our, our connection to source in the way that we experience our connection to source. And, and it's beautiful as that it comes in in different ways because it, you know, we each have our own way. And like my mom said, spirituality is a personal journey. So, you know, it's all beautiful. 
Well, along those lines, it's been my experience too, John, that people receive intuitive information in the way that is their primary way of learning. For instance, right. if you're a visual learner, you'll see things. If you're a kinesthetic learner, you'll you'll feel things. If you're an auditory learner, you'll hear things. Right. It, you, it's fascinating when I'm teaching people how to do all this woo-woo stuff that I do. I'm not so much about technique. I'm more about let's figure out how it comes in naturally for you. It's like right, teaching a right. left-handed child that he can only write with his right hand. Well, who cares what right, hand he right. writes with? You know, let's just do what comes in naturally for right. that. My son's a left-handed and people tried to get him. In fact, I was at, at, a, at a relative's house and he literally walked over and took something out of my son's hand. I said, you put that right back. You know, he's going to be, he's going to live his life the way he is exactly. and, and, and he is perfect. Well, who cares? So, right. Who cares? Who cares? And, but my, my, my mother was left-handed and we didn't know it her, our whole life because the nuns would smack her oh, if she used her left hand. I never experienced but, that. Yeah, yeah. And then she, uh, she, um, she was ambidextrous in the end because she could do anything with either hand. The nuns taught her to be ambidextrous, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's just the, we all have our experiences. For me personally, um, I had never seen, well, let me put it this way. I grew up in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. And Rehoboth is known as the nation's gay summer capital. And what I find really interesting is the, the Catholic church in that town owns a giant mansion on the beach. And all the priests come there for vacation because it's a beach resort. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen priests out in the city walking along with their boyfriends or coming out of the gay bars or all that. And I'm like, to me, it doesn't matter because I, I think if God is love, love in any form is not wrong. Right. And, but when you said to them, you know, good evening, father, they would get embarrassed because of where they were and what they were doing. And I was like, you know, that's, that's really kind of sad because they, they can't express love in the way they want to express love. And God is love. And I think it's just kind of a sad statement that, that, their belief is telling them that they're that they're wrong for what they want to do naturally, just like the left hand and the right hand. Yeah, I agree. Well, back to all the different cultures. At the beginning, I think that the great cathedrals of the world were to help were built in a structure to help people connect with God. You know, you think about all the sensorium that are engaged when you're in one of the great cathedrals. The the all the beautiful stained glass windows, the opulence in some instances of the marble or the gold leaf or whatever, it's beautiful to the eyes. The incense is, you're, you're engaging your sense of smell. The music, the Gregorian chants, all the other music, you're engaging your auditory, all those things, you know, the way that the sun comes in. And it's not just in organized religions, I think it's in all philosophies and uh, completely completely agree and it was about getting us close to god spirit whatever you want to call it and right. then as men got involved and wanted to take control that's when the corruption started and that's Absolutely. when all those other Absolutely. things so as a cafeteria catholic i call myself a cafeteria catholic i take what resonates with me and i think we all do that anyways and i mm. believe in this day and age People are figuring that out. There, yeah. I, most people will tell me, 
I'm spiritual more than religious. And I think the religions of the world are figuring this out because their attendance at their services and stuff is plummeting. Well, in the past 20 years, Catholic churches have lost 53% of their congregation. Right. And And same with Protestant churches as well. Yeah, what I find interesting is is south just south of here, down in Canton, there was a Catholic church that that was having a hard time keeping keeping the doors open. So they ended up renting the choir loft out to a metaphysical center. And so upstairs was the metaphysical center, downstairs was the Catholic church. The congregation downstairs kept dwindling and dwindling and dwindling and dwindling until it got down to the the just the core hardcore Catholics, right? And that's when the the hateful graffiti started showing up on the walls upstairs. That's you know you know you're Satan worshippers, you're the Antichrist, you're all of the yeah. you know all that stuff. And now when you drive down there, it's it's a very interesting thing because the church is boarded up, and the metaphysical center has built a bought a building and moved into this giant building, and it's people are coming and the Buddhist monks are coming and doing mandalas, and they're showing they're expressing it as open to everything. Right, and they're not judging the Catholics for what they do, but I think there, there's there are in all belief systems there are people make it their religion, and once they make it their religion, everybody else has to be wrong, and then they start to attack. Um, like I, I said earlier, because of my beliefs, I get attacked regularly. Mm-hmm. It's never by a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Muslim, or it's always by the Christians, but. That's not to say all Christians are bad. My mom was a magnificent person. What I didn't know, and we didn't find out until after she was done, she really took it seriously. Um, my, I had a friend of mine come and say, you know, your mom's an angel, right? And I go, what? She says, yeah. He says, we were at our house and my mom came and she said, we don't have any more money. Your, your father can't work because of his arthritis. And uh, we don't know where our next meal's coming from. Let's pray. And they all sat down and prayed. And they finished the prayer. There was a knock at the door. My mom walked in carrying bags of groceries, set them on the counter, went back out to the car and brought in the roast she had just cooked at home so that they'd have a hot meal that day. Mm. We had no idea that she was doing the things she was doing until after she died. But she took her spirituality as strongly as she took her religion. Yeah. Same thing happened to me, interestingly enough. When my mother died, she was the principal of our Catholic grade school. And at her funeral, people were lined up for hours waiting to see my dad. And so my brothers and I worked the line, you know, to say hi to everybody at the funeral home. And I heard so many stories at that wake, John, about my mom that I had no idea. Had no idea. (laughs) And I was, and my brothers and I were just like, what? Yeah, like one Amazing. woman told me that her her father-in-law and her own father died two days apart and she had all these people coming in from out of town. And she said, my mom showed up at her house at seven o'clock the next morning. And she said, what can I do to help? And this woman, my mom's friend who's still living, her name's Alice, she said, help me clean my house. I have all these people, you know, that are coming in. And she said, your mother spent the next five hours helping me change bed, clean the house, all that. I said, she didn't do that in her own house, let alone Mm. somebody else's house. So stories like that, that are just so wonderful to hear, you know, about your loved one. And I think it gives them so much more depth, too, because they're way more than just how we see them as our mother or other family member. And the other, the other side of that is, you know, a lot of the people who get into spirituality are highly empathic people. Right. 
And, you know, the word ego means the awareness of self. It doesn't mean narcissist, like most people are using that word nowadays. And you can be completely aware of self to the negation of others and be a narcissist. But highly empathic people tend to be people of service who serve everybody else but don't serve themselves. And it really comes down to having a balanced awareness of self, a balanced ego, where you love yourself as an equal part of God, as equally as you would love others. Because, you know, they say on the airplane, you've got to put your own mask, oxygen mask on before helping others. It's the, same, it's the same thing in your life. You know, if you give everything to everyone else, you lose yourself. And, and you, you are a, a, a valuable part of God because you're part of God. And there's no part of God that's less than any other. So it's a matter of loving yourself equally and keeping that balance. But um, I find a lot of highly empathic people who suffer in life because they're just, they, they're trying to help everybody else and trying to solve everybody else, but they're not giving back to themselves. My mom was, was uh, like I said, head of liturgical doctrine. My mom was at, at church seven days a week. And she, I mean, very rare <laughs> that my mom was home. And um, it was very, very interesting because the experiences that I've had with, with the Catholic faith has been fascinating because I came to realize just, you know, the priests and the nuns are just people too. And they can like and dislike just as, as anybody else does. Yeah? And they brought a nun in who really just didn't like my mom. And, and it was very interesting because I was out at a restaurant and I was, I was, I was a young guy. I was working uh, a, a job as a landscaper for a company that was run by bodybuilders. Now I'm a little portly guy and I'm sitting at a, in a fast food restaurant with a table full of Adonis's. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they're like like muscle bound, you know, beautiful guys. Arnold, and, they were yeah, Arnold's, and I, yeah. And and I look across the room and I see the nun, and she's way on the way on the far side of the room, and I'm we're sitting there, and and I, the one guy sitting next to me, he owned a gym, and I was wearing a shirt that said Tease Fitness Center on it, and we're you know we're just chatting it, and I watch the nun get up, and the door is over here to exit. And she takes the long way around the dining room, comes right up to my table, looks at my shirt and says, I don't think you would go to a gym. Oh. <laughs> right? And I was like, the only reason she said that is because she didn't like my mom. Well, and nothing, so, and nothing that was her. That was her. Yeah. But so, so and that's not to say that's, that's, that's not all Catholics, right? No, 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 no. It's just to say all people. Yeah, have their fears and their anxieties. And it's a matter of seeing all people the same way. One of the things I say on my, my YouTube channel all the time um, is that um, I'm only speaking my truth and I respect your truth because, you know, I'm not asking you to take it or, or I'm not trying right. to sway you to my belief. And I think if you found your way to a loving life and a happy life, then you found your way. And um, it would be completely wrong for me to try to sway you that way. So I've, I know beautiful Christians. I know beautiful Muslims. I mean, beautiful Hindus. Yeah. You know, and I just, I just, you know, I just think we can find God in all of it. I agree. Let's, let's switch directions for a minute. Yeah. I want to talk about uh, Jesus's process of healing when yeah. you did that reincarnation. And from what I understand, you did several sessions of that lifetime. Well, you didn't do it just once. Well, what once. happens with hypnotherapy? What happens is there's a certain percentage that have continual regression. So what happened with me was I had the one regression and then 
the doorway was just kind of left open. So what happens is somebody will say something and it'll trigger a past life memory. And I know it's a past life memory because it's visceral. For me, it, it's almost as if my consciousness shifts. It's like I'm there, but I'm thinking here, if that makes any sense at all. Um, so like the, the latest one I had was somebody asked me what, what, you know, Mary Magdalene looked like. And she asked, and I, I had a complete memory of clearing a table with her, the two of us just laughing. Right. And it was just this quick memory, but it was like somebody will say something, it'll trigger something. And that's how I, I continue to get it. Um, what was your question? I went off well, on a tangent. Some about Mary Magdalene, then I'll go back to my question. Uh-huh. Whenever Mary Magdalene shows up to me, she showed up one time during a healing when my mentor was doing a healing on me. And she always has two women with her. It's like a mm. gaggle of them. Mm. And I want, I've often wondered, and I could just ask her, I haven't thought about that till mm. just now. <laughs> there, there are some of those Muslim and Middle Eastern cultures where women don't go out in public by themselves. Usually they either have to go with their husband or their father. Usually it has to be a man. But I'm wondering if that's why she always has just like they're like friends with her. And and, and when when I've traveled through a lot of Muslim countries now and women do travel with pairs and and groups. And um, it's also a very interesting culture in the fact that men uh, don't have the the um, personal space that we have here. Men will walk down the, ro- down the road arm in arm, arms around each other. And, you know, it's not a, not a homosexual thing. It's just an affection thing for their friend. It's just a very different culture. I, I try to tell people all the time when they think about that time, the life of Jeshua and the time of Jeshua, that um, you ha- kind of think about it like, like Afghanistan right now. Mm-hmm. You know, it, that's the way it really was. There was a Roman rule. So we were under military occupation. There was uh, real serious rules about, about women, especially after Paul said his stuff. Paul said, you know, women aren't allowed in the churches. Women aren't allowed to be uh, in the same building as the man when they, do, when they pray. I mean, there's, it was very, very uh, anti-woman back then. Even in the Gnostic text, it's, there's a, when you read the, the Gnostic Gospel of Mary Magdalene, it's a beautiful, beautiful writing. And she's talking about her vision from Jeshua, and she's t- sharing this this expression. But the end of the end of the book, Peter says, "Why should we listen to you? You're a woman. And why would he tell you and not us?" And so there are these these men just kind of knocking her down. And then Le- Levi, the hero of the story, he st- stands up and says, "What are you talking about? He loved her more than us. You know, of course she knows. Of course she knows. You know." And then he actually says in the text, he says. Peter, you always need, I don't know, I'm going to paraphrase this because I don't know the expert. He basically says, you've always been just a sour, un- unlikable guy or something like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I, I think it's really interesting. Also in the Gnostic text and talk about Peter. In the Gnostic text, they, the disciples asked Joshua, um, when he's gone, who do they go to? And he doesn't say Peter. He says, go to James the Just, my brother, right? Peter didn't become the rock until the Nicene Council. Mm -hmm. And the reason he became the rock at the Nicene Council is because uh, Rome was trying to become the seat of power of Christianity. And when Jeshua sent the disciples out to share his message, he sent Peter to Rome. 
And so he had to be the first saint. He had to be the first pope because he was the disciple that came to Rome. And when you look at the Gnostic text, it's really fascinating because you're reading these texts and you're seeing where James is telling a story and they just kind of insert Peter into the story. And I have to wonder how much of that was just trying to put Peter into the story Mm -hmm. because a lot of it makes no sense that Peter's even there, but they just kind of insert him in. Uh, Even the, the, the Gnostic gospel of, uh, James, Jeshua's brother, he, he says, uh, you know, Peter and I were here and we, Peter, he gave us this special message. And the rest of the text is like Jeshua talking to James alone. And then at the end, they mentioned Peter again. It was like, just very, just very interesting. Yeah. Know? Well, I want to talk about healing, but before that quick story about Mary Magdalene, when she showed up, when I was having a healing done on me and she identified herself and she had these two women with her. And of course they had the veils on and the whole nine yards. And I said, why are you here? And she said, I'm going to help you on your path. Now this was before I released my book. And I said, okay. And I said, why? And she said, because you're going to be persecuted. People are going to think you're crazy. They're going to call you names, all of that. And she said, I know a little bit about that. (laughs) I started laughing and and she's been around ever since. And I don't get much of that. It's very rare that somebody gives me a hard time about any of this. And when they do, here's what I say. They say, well, you, you're evil because you talk to spirits. And I say, okay, well, do you pray? Usually it's somebody who's a fundamentalist Christian saying this. And I'll say, well, do you pray? And they say, of course I pray. And I'll say, okay, to whom do you pray? Jesus, whomever. And I'll say, okay, so does Jesus answer you? Yeah, I get answers all the time. Say, okay, so is it like you're sitting on the living room couch and Jesus is there next to you and you can touch him and you can give them a glass of water or whatever. And they say, no, no. I said, oh, you're talking with his spirit. And you can see the light bulb moment go up in their head. (laughs) And they say, ah, I never thought about it that way. Right. And then I also will say, like you, if somebody wants to give me a hard time, which I say is rare, rare, rare. I it's, was, it's actually rare for me too. Yeah. I, do, I do get them, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm very public on YouTube, so it, it really. Yeah, but I'll yeah. say, uh, I can talk to you about whatever you want. You want to talk about Ohio State football? You want to talk about the weather? You want to? What do you want to talk about? I don't care. It doesn't matter. Yeah. All right, let's get back. Let's circle back to healing. Do you remember from any of your past life recall? Anything about Jesus's healing? You talked about the mud on the blind man's eyes. Yeah. Can you give yeah. us anything that I you actually, remember? Yeah, I actually did a video on this on, on my, it's actually on my, uh, my, I have a, a second YouTube channel called The Recovering Catholic, and it's all about his healing method. It, it was kind of like what I said before, when, when Jeshua would come and be the resonance of, of perfect health and be, be that, that feeling that, that I felt in my regression, and then he would lead them to their faith. There's a story in the Bible. Well, it's a, just a real quick passage of them. They avoided Bethshayan because no, key, no healings could happen there. And the reason why no healings could happen there is because it's near Nazareth and they knew his father. And so he, he couldn't, you know, a prophet is not known in his hometown. And, but I have a past life memory of going into the town and telling people, Jeshua was out by the river. And people would take the leap of faith to go out to him. And by coming out there with this leap of faith, they 
they would be able to accept the healing because they believe they were actually saying, I am going to go out there and get healed. Right. So they were coming back to just like the, the lady in the, in the train accident. Um, it's very, it's very interesting. Everybody, everybody asked me about miraculous things and, and I don't, I don't really have a lot of memories of big miraculous things, but what I do know about the healing was he, he truly understood it was their faith that healed them. And so he would come into that expression and he would, um, get them to come to their present moment, just like I did with the lady with the tooth. Did I tell you that story? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like I did with the lady with the tooth, I would bring them to the present moment faith. And that's what he did. That's exactly what he did for every person he met. That's why the mud was only for that one man, because that's the way he needed to be healed. Mm-hmm. And so when then what happened was, as time went on, so many people were healing themselves around him with, with his assistance. Uh, you know, I would call him more of a healing facilitator. The people began believing that he was just healing them. And then you hear the story of the woman who touches his garment and says, I'm healed. And he says, it was your faith that healed you. You know, they were just believing he was, he was a, a healing person. And so they would just get healings around him. And it became very um, in demand. <laughs> mm-hmm. Put it that way. Yeah. Um, well, and it's interesting, too, because I always tell my clients when I'm working with them from a medical standpoint, I always say, look, nobody heals anybody else. No healer, no shaman, no doctor. You think about somebody has surgery at the end of the procedure, the surgeon's going to close the incision with sutures and staples. The The surgeon doesn't make the patient's skin grow back. The patient makes right. their own skin grow back. Precisely. And and that's that's how it works. And I believe that it's spirit working through me and with me to help facilitate that person healing themselves. Right, right. And so now, that's interesting. So, so, and I, I think healing, uh, law of attraction, all, all they really are is just different, different ways of saying creation. And when you look at, when you're sitting in your room and you're looking at the wall across from you, that wall is made of atoms and that atoms are just nothing but a pure energy event. And the air between you and that wall is made of the same atoms. And the eyes that you're looking at it with are made of the same atoms. You know, all you really are is is your consciousness and who you are. Um, and when you look at the world from the perspective of that, you start to realize the, the first lines of the book of John, in the beginning is the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Your words, your thoughts, your beliefs goes out to the source and the source shows you your belief in the image around you. You know, we are created in God's image. This is it. And it's a matter of coming to the realization that you you will see what you believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm sure most of the people watching this <laughs> know a negative person. And if you don't, you better check if you're a negative person. <laughs> um, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> everybody's looking at you now. <laughs> but yeah, you'll always know that a, a negative person always has something to be negative about. And a positive person always has something to be positive about. Because they believe it's negative, so they see negative. And they believe it's positive, it's see positive. I was walking into a restaurant one time with a friend of mine. On the way in, he says, I hate this place. Why do we always come here? I said, I love this place. What are you talking about? It's the perfect greasy spoon. I love it. So we go, we sit down in the, in the booth. The waitress walks over. First thing she says, she says, I'm sorry, I'm having a bad day, and it's going to reflect in the service. <laughs> right? My friend is instantly mad. I found it humorous. 
And I said to her, I am so sorry that you're having that experience. Why don't you sit down? I'll get you some dinner. I'll take care of the rest of your tables. And we started joking. She and I started flirting, right? Our meals came to the table. First, our salads. My salad, I swear to you, it looked like she went out back and picked every vegetable by hand herself. It was like choirs should have sang when this salad came to my table. His salad came. It was the core of the iceberg lettuce cut into four chunks. Oh, heavens. <laughs> right? Our steaks came. We both ordered steak dinners. My steak, I swear they called my mom to find out how I liked it. <laughs> His steak come. He ordered a rare steak. <laughs> the, the center was frozen. Oh, <laughs> right? He got exactly what he believed. I got exactly yeah. what he believed. And I got a date. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There you go. Here's the here's the difference in that story, though. When I sat down, there was two negative people. When I got up, there was one. Yeah, right. That's the, that's really the key. Yeah, absolutely. And just a yeah. smile can can pick people up. I go in the grocery store and I smile at people and they smile back. And it's like, <laughs> or I'll say, thank you for working today. Or gosh, that outfit looks great on you. You look amazing. And they'll say, oh, you just made my day. Yeah. I'm led <laughs> to do that. And I do right. that all the time. I tell people, if you're in a bad mood, go out and walk around Target or go to the grocery store and right. just smile at people. It's going to make you feel better. It's going to make them feel better. It's a win-win. I love that you said that because I, when I go to the grocery store, I actively exhale and I come back to that feeling inside myself before I go in. And I walk in and I'm fascinated to watch the people do double takes and smile. Yeah. They're like, what's that feeling? And they smile. And I joke and I, and I have a great time shopping. I love it, love it, love it. And it really does come down to what are you putting into the world? What are you expressing into the world? Exactly. And you have the ability to, you know, I, I tell people, especially empathic people, I tell people, you can't save the world, but you can make your your part of the world so bright that the world chooses to save itself around you. I love that. I love yeah. that. All right. Circling back to healing, one, a couple last thoughts. Okay. There are some scholars that believe that Jesus, you know how the Bible just kind of cuts out from the age of 12 to 30 with Jesus. Those are the missing years. I there, know where you're going, yeah. Ted. <laughs> there are some scholars that believe that Jesus was going through India and Egypt and lots of other places, and he was learning healing methodologies, among other things, like Kabbalistic healing and the, the yogi healing and stuff like that. Do you have anything to say about that? I'd love to hear uh, your uh, opinion uh, or yeah. your impression of that. Yeah. When when John of old met him, he was coming back from a trip. And I believe he was coming back from India. Okay. Um, when, I, when I traveled through India in this life, I was fascinated by Sri Isa. Um, when you go to India, you find out about Sri Isa, who was a guru in, in India in those exact years. And... They tell you where he was, what he did. They tell you who he interacted with. They tell you the whole story. And then you say, well, what happened to him? He said, he went back to his country and was crucified. Mm -hmm. And they literally tell you the whole story. And the other thing is, is that same group of people believe, and, and this is something I have no knowledge of, but I really hope this is true, <laughs> um, that after the crucifixion, he came back there with his wife and, and raised kids there. Uh, and, the, and Hindus believe it. They believe that, that Sri Isa came back and, did, and lived out his natural life there. Now, that said, my last memory of Jeshua was, was lying on my face, looking up at him, 
you know, I, I like hit the ground and I'm looking up at him and him looking down at me laughing because it was after the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. And um, Hindu gurus are are famous for many things, but one of the things that they you can find in all the all the Hindu and the and the the, the texts of, about the yogis is they had this thing where they would come to a raging river, for instance, and rather than trying to ford through the river, they would project their consciousness to the other side and manifest their body around it. And that, to me, is like the perfect description of reincarnation or of a resurrection. You know, manifest your consciousness and, and come around. Um, we are so much more than the physical body. Uh, and in talking about healing again, I had a experience one time where I was walking up out of a comedy show I was doing, and this lady walks up to me. This man walks up to me with his girlfriend. He says, John, this is Maria. She really wants to read your tarot cards. I said, oh, great, sure. So we went behind the, we went behind the, the, the off the fair site. And as I sat down, I could just tell she was sick. She was not well. And I, I sat down with her and she, she laid out all her cards. I said, can I hold your hand while we do this? She said, sure. So I grabbed her hand. And as she's reading the cards, I, in my mind, I just say to her through my higher self, I say, are you ready to let this go? And I hear the thought come back saying, yes, I am. And I said, then just pass it to me and I'll pass it on. And I felt this rush of energy come up my arm and right out the top of my head. It's probably like a ball to probably fried the hair off. Right. <laughs> right. And, um, she finished her tarot card reading and we went our, our separate ways. A week later, I'm walking out of the same show again and her boyfriend's standing there alone holding a phone. I walk up, he says, talk to her. Hello? <laughs> what did you do to me? I said, what do you think I did to you? She says, I think you healed me. I said, then that's what happened. What, what, what did you have? She says, I had been given six weeks to live with cancer. They can't find cancer in my body now. Right? So, even even the healing method is about is about being there in in love and compassion. But you can talk through the higher self. You can talk for that 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 spirit self. And people ask me about Lazarus all the time. I don't have any memory of that that moment. But to me, it makes perfect sense. You just talk to his higher self. You just talk through, healed through that way. Um, I think I think it really does come down though to that moment where I said, "What do you think happened to you?" Because I was asking her what her faith was. I was asking her what her belief was. And when she said, I believe you healed me, I said, then that's what happened. Yeah. So. Well, back to the yogis being <laughs> able to transport, whatever the word is, their body from one yeah. side of the river to the yeah. other. I, I go back to Star Wars. I believe there's so much wisdom in there. And George oh, Lucas so was channeling all that stuff, as does yeah. every writer and every composer and all of that. And furthermore, my other, one of my other favorite shows is Bewitched from the oh. 60s. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you, you think about, right, <laughs> Samantha Stevens would yell mother and then Dora would come in or she'd yell Uncle Arthur or Dr. Bombay and they'd all yeah. come in. And what did she do? She'd snap her fingers and she'd go from home to her husband's office right. in a nanosecond. And right. so I believe that whoever the screenwriters were that were involved with that show, they were doing a lot of woo-woo in there. They were showing us this is how it works mm. because it's a great example of how it works. 
I used to share a stage with a man who was a practicing Hindu, but he was not Indian. He was an American New Yorker. Um, and he was a professional sword swallower. And <laughs> I know a lot of weird people. <laughs> um, and backstage, he had, a, he had a, a shrine to his guru. And I used to have great, deep conversations with him. One day, he told me a story. He says, he says, the last time I went to India to see my guru, he says, I took my friend with me. And I just wanted him to have that experience that I was having. But he really wasn't into it. He says, and we were there for a week, and he was just bored to tears. And one day, the guru saw him sitting there and said, what's the matter? He says, you know, I, he says, I really just wish I had my guitar here because I can just play a song. And the guru says, where's your guitar? He says, it's in San Francisco. He says, where? He says, what's your address? He gives him the address. An hour later, the guru handed him his guitar. Wow. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. They were in India. He, went to San, he got it from San Francisco and brought it. Right? So how do, you, how do you do that? You project your consciousness to the place where it's going to be, and, you, and then you bring the belief of this guitar back to the, to the present. And But it, it does come down to what, what I said at the very beginning of this conversation was all transcendental experiences are present. And people need to realize they have to draw their time close to have those, those experiences, to believe big enough that they are doing it. That's a serious magic trick, being able to come yeah. up with the guitar in an hour. Yeah. <laughs> My gosh. Yeah. Talk about a yeah, show. A couple more questions. I could talk to you yeah. for the rest of the day, but a couple more questions. <laughs> it seems that people believe that the world is going through some really tough times right now. <gasps> and I think I want to say, well, they say, well, we've never been more divided. And two Americans I'll say, you ever hear of the Civil War? Mm. Is it because we have a 24-7 news cycle, if it bleeds, it leads, and we just hear the bad stuff? Or do you believe that it's something I, I always talk about, that we've got to shatter the old to allow the new to come in? And I believe that it's people who are seeking their own spirituality out of the confines of the traditional government, religion, mm -hmm. society kind of thing. We're creating new things by shattering the old. I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. Socrates said, when the debate is lost, slander becomes the tool of the loser. People get loud when they're, when they're losing grip. People get frustrated when they're losing grip. Uh, to give you an example of, of how the media works with this, you know, we recently had the Maui fires. Right. One of the one of the news programs, uh, television programs, was complaining about this issue that the, that the police were having at the boundaries. He's like, "Yeah, we're having a real problem. Too many people are coming and, and trying to go into the burn area. Yeah, they're they're bringing food and clothing and 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 their camping supplies, and there's just too many people coming. Right? <laughs> so <laughs> all these people are coming out of love and compassion in their heart." To, to create, but the news made it a bad story because bad news sells, right? I watch five minutes of news a day and, and just because I want to check in to see what's going on in the world. But if you, if you watch it longer than that, you find out something really interesting. There's only five minutes of news a day. <laughs> they say there are five minutes. Then the next five minutes is going to be talking to someone about the first five minutes. Then the next five minutes is going to be the other perspective. Then they're going to go to a different host of the show and they're going to start over again. And all day long, they're going to be talking about the same five minutes, right? So I watch it five minutes a day. And then I have, I have the news app on my, on my phone. If the world's going to end, I'm going to get a, a message on my phone saying it's there, 
right? So I just go on about my day and live my day. Here's a perspective that I really want to give your viewers and the world. I live in Akron, Ohio, and if I if I worked a job in Cleveland, every day I would get up and I would drive 26 miles up there. I'd probably pass a thousand cars on the road. Once a day, maybe, probably not even once a day, but let's just say once a day, there'd be a, a little accident on the side of the road. Tonight on the news, there's going to be a story about that accident and how terrible that accident was on the side of the road. What's not going to be on the, no, on the news is that 999 cars made it safely to their destination without a problem at all. Right. 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 Our world is 99% positive. But the people who are, who are really invested in fear and selling fear are getting loud right now. What, what you'll also find very quickly is that the louder they get, the less substance they have. You know, you say, well, well, what, how would you solve this problem? Well, I, I, we're not going to do what they're doing. You know, well, <laughs> you know, give us a solution. Don't give us a, another argument. Just what's the solution? The ones who are getting the loudest don't have, don't have a solution. It's like, it's like that church down in Canton. When it got down to the last vestiges of the people down below, they started writing things on the walls. They started getting loud. And that's where we are right now. We are, we are beautifully, wonderfully in a transition into a more loving world right now. And all you're seeing are the growing pains of people trying to hold on to their fear-based beliefs. And, and, and I say that specifically because when I left the spiritual world and went off and became that corporate speaker, it was because people were so shallow. People were not really listening to what I was teaching because they were only interested in that past life story. When I came back, everyone was so much more awake. It's it, the, the, the story of the veil getting thinner is, is true. People, people are awakening to their own power right now. You know, in, in Sufism, they believe that God's on one side of a veil and we're on the other side of the veil. And our life is the struggle against the veil and the veil is our fear. The veil is getting thinner for, for the world right now, but the people who aren't, aren't willing to let go of their veil are getting loud. Well, and it's all benefiting them in some way. Their sure. spirit wants to experience the chaos and the turmoil and all of that, whereas there are those whose spirits say, okay, yeah, I've lived in that. Let's create out of that. What do I want? Right. And that's right. what's creating the new spirituality, right. I think. Right. I, I would... I was, <laughs> I, I had two dead standing trees in my backyard and I had a guy tell me it was going to cost me $3,000 to remove them. I said, no, I'm going to get it done for free. So I put an ad on Facebook marketplace with a picture of the trees and I said, free firewood, you cut. <laughs> and a mother and a son showed up at my house and they beautifully cut down those trees and hauled them away for free. Wow. And while I was talking to the woman, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get into politics at all, but she, you know, she said, you know what I did this morning? Right. She says, I, I, put, I burned my neighbor's politician sign. She was, she was using actual names. And the sign that she burned was the, the guy that I voted for, right? So, and I, and I, I said to her, I said, you know, I really like you. So you and I aren't going to talk about politics. She said, okay. <laughs> right, right. And next thing you know, she brought me cookies and I coached her son on how to empower his life. There you go. There you go. Right. Why do we incarnate? I ask that to everybody that's on this show. Yeah. Yeah. We, we come into this world to experience our separation from love so that we can come to know it more fully. And 
when we cross over and we have our near-death experiences, first thing they'll tell you is that we're having the, uh, the life review. Now, what happens in that life review? They experience their entire life from the emotional standpoint of that life, but they not only experience it from their point of view, but from everybody they, they interacted with. They're actually experiencing how love was given and taken through the processes of fear. The thing that I learned in my regression was that being here is, is to experience. And that experience is to show us that the contrast to not having love. But the best lesson you can learn out of all of what I just said is, imagine if you're standing in a room that's made of love and right beside you is a fog machine. And you can reach over there and you can crank that fear fog all the way up so you can't see that room. Or you can crank that fear fog all the way down so you can see the room. The realization is that your hand's on the knob. You're the one who has to be able to turn it up and down. You're the one who can bring it down and just be loving and make those choices. I agree. How can people learn more about you and your work? I am easy to find. <laughs> you go to johnofnew.com. Or if you go to the John of New channel on YouTube, you'll find everything I teach on there for free. There's 1,100 videos on there. Um, and then with the John of New, I probably do private sessions and things of that nature. But you can find out all the information you'll need right on those two sources. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. What a fascinating conversation. Very wide ranging, obviously. I have many <laughs> more questions for you. We'll have to have you back. So everybody, thanks for joining us. Sending you lots of love from sweet home Alabama mwah, and from Ohio to where John is. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to follow Julie on Instagram and YouTube at Ask Julie Ryan and like her on Facebook at Ask Julie Ryan. To schedule an appointment or submit a question, please visit AskJulieRyan.com. This show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be medical, psychological, financial, or legal advice. Please contact a licensed professional. The Ask Julie Ryan Show, Julie Ryan and all parties involved in producing, recording, and distributing it assume no responsibility for listeners' actions based on any information heard on this or any Ask Julie Ryan shows or podcasts.